0: morning welcome greetings to each of you Jesus name I was sort of curious I thought maybe before we get started here how many of you have ever listened to a preacher and wondered if he needed his head examined I won't ask you afterwards but I thought I'd ask you before you ever done that anybody nobody well you must have done better than me I have a time or two and I actually think I know one right now um So if you sit here and think that Joe needs his head examined, you're not alone, at least. Um, I'd be willing to have it done. It's one of these subjects where it seemed like a good idea at a time, and when I got into it, I was like, who would be dumb enough, who would either be brave enough or dumb enough to preach on something like this? So um, I don't know that I should lay a claim to bravery, so we'll go with the latter. so a question for you since you didn't answer that one I'll give you another one um, what's the strongest yet most fragile thing you can think of any, what, if you put strong and fragile in one description what would it be spider web I didn't think of that any, any other things coming to mind for any of you trust, trust? Uh, I'm sorry I missed one I'm sorry ant. oh an ant yeah good I hadn't thought of that one but that's great any more? Human relationships. relationships? Any more you want to chime in on this? Running out? That's fine. I had another one I was going to talk about here, and I'll share that with you in a minute. Uh, next question How many of you know what a simile is? couple of you. Uh, does anybody want to tell me what a simile is, since we have a high percentage of people that seem to have lost that. If they knew it, I don't know. Can you Tell me what a simile is. Uh, by any volunteer? Like something is like something else. Okay, so it's when you use like or as to describe something else. So somewhere in the Bible, there's a simile that compares the sun to something I'd like to talk about today. So can you tell me what that is? Okay, thanks, good. Uh, Psalm uh, 19. You can actually open your Bibles to Psalm 19. has a simile. And I know he's talking about God declaring himself in the heavens here. So I'm not necessarily going to build my message on these verses at the same time. I thought I'd go ahead and just use the ones. We'll start at uh, the last part of verse 4. Verse uh, 4. Psalm 19, verse 4, the last part of the verse. In them, talking of the heavens, he, God hath, set a tabernacle for the sun, or a place for the sun to be. Which is, and now notice this, as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Uh, I don't know, we've got a few married folks here this morning, fellows I'm thinking of. Uh, I don't know, it'd be interesting if we could somehow maybe make a display of the adjectives or the sensations you felt when you got ready stood up there on the morning of your wedding day but I'm guessing for most of us it probably wasn't the most depressed day of our life was it? Uh, We were sort of looking forward to it Uh, and we could probably branch out from there based on who you are and how you express your personality and all that So it compares the sun coming up as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. And I I sort of like to think of that, especially when I'm out in the lake, you know, and that sun comes up. It's a little easier to see there than at my place. And it's just glorious. It's strength there. It changes, you know. In fact, I like to have my fishing done by nine because it gets too hot this time of the year to keep going. Um, But it's coming up. Let's go on. It gives us two, actually. Still talking of the sun and, and it says, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. So quickly, how many of you would classify the sun as a needed object in your life? So how many of you would say the sun is something good, a good thing? Have a problem? Okay, off. maybe it was a bit too much of a good thing. Uh, Those of you that were with me remember that. So recently I was roughly in the same area and I made sure that I at least didn't get too much of a good thing. Um, So the sun, while it's good, while it's needed, it can actually be destructive. Just ask somebody with a very red face and peeling skin if it's destructive. Uh, It is. And in fact, that's one of the milder things. You do that too often, you can end up with something life-threatening. So the sun can be destructive even though it's needful and even though it's a good thing. Its strength requires consideration. Its strength to some degree must be protected if it is to be beneficial on all levels. And yet we need the sun to live. Would you please remember this analogy or this simile as I go through the rest of the message? Like I told you in the beginning, it's a bit of a difficult road to travel. I'm a little bit worried of not saying what I mean or of having you hear something I didn't mean to say. So your first job is to listen closely, and your second one is to correct what I, correct what needs corrected. And I would say there may be one job worse than preaching this message, and that's probably to close the service afterwards to pray for Jason. Um, he might need it. So let's open your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In case you didn't catch on, I'm going to talk about being a man this morning. And that doesn't mean that, I don't know, I didn't count, but roughly half of you can go to sleep. Uh, I would say, that would be interesting. Uh, I'm not trying to pay any foolish games, but how many men do we have here this morning? Would you stand up? Okay, good, we got some, why don't you boys stand up to your men just just, just, uh, just, on the way there, right? You're good, there you go. So now all of you that aren't men here, which I know uh, we're not gonna play any confusion in this game, are women, how many of you relate to a man on an everyday basis, in some capacity? Would you all stand if you do? Okay, good, let's just stay standing and think about this. I don't think we have any Nuns here this morning that get to go to a cloister and isolate themselves from men. Um, so it's probably something we all can use, and I'm going to talk to both of you. Actually, let's go ahead and uh, read First Corinthians chapter six, verse. Stay standing, please. Verse nine through eleven. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. It's going to talk about some negative things here, and one thing that fascinates me. If you look this up in the Greek, Greek is a little bit more like Spanish in that it has male and female ending to words, what they call the masculine or the feminine gender. So he used the masculine form of all these words, which seems a little bit odd on some of them. So let's read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 11, verse 9. Know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now here's what's strange. Is most Mennonites, as I hear them read this passage, and if they begin to explain what these words mean, they get a little bit mixed up. Uh, go, go search me out on this one. Let me read what it would actually say if we were to put it into our words a little bit more. And this is my translation, so you don't have to agree with me 100%, but it'll give you a little different view. Do you not know that those who live in unrighteousness shall not enter God's kingdom. Do not deceive yourselves. Those who sell their bodies, the actual word used is a male prostitute, nor those who worship anything other than God, nor those who mix their loves, nor those who love soft living, nor those who have improper same-sex relationships, nor those who steal, nor those who are eager for gain, nor those who are intoxicated, nor those who are never satisfied shall enter into God's kingdom. A little different, huh? And go search me out. Don't take my word for it. But that's what I, as I look at Strong's and the Greek meaning, It actually, that's actually the, the feel more than what we would get. Because a lot of it, the way we tend to read the King James Version, a lot of it just sort of repeats itself. A lot of those words to us almost mean the same thing. Whereas that, he's talking about a list of very different things. So let's read it again. Uh, You follow along in your Bible, and I'll read what I have uh, as a clarification. Do you not know that those who live in unrighteousness shall not enter into God's kingdom? Do not deceive yourself. Those who sell their bodies, nor those who worship anything other than God, nor those who mix their loves, nor those who love soft living... Nor those who have improper same-sex relationships, nor those who steal, nor nor those who are eager for gain, nor those who are intoxicated, nor those who are never satisfied, shall enter into God's kingdom. Some of you were involved in these things, but you have been washed, you have been changed, you have been forgiven through Christ and the Spirit of God. You can be seated again. I'm entitled this message, In Defense of Real Men. And in defense, I don't mean to be defensive. In choosing to speak on this, I'm not here to defend men where they're, not, where they're doing wrong. No matter who we are, may we own and acknowledge our weakness. May we find God's help and strength to live for Him. You know, personally, I'm going to talk to you men, and I guess the ladies can listen because... Anyway, I'll get into that, but... You know, I understand and I actually know the feeling of being ashamed of being a man. I don't know if you do or not, but I do. Probably strongest, especially when I personally have had to deal with some situations where I've seen firsthand the devastation wrought by the selfishness and the strength of men. Yet to accuse all men, as some almost seem to do, for the sins of some men, is quite unfair and illogical. To you all, did you know that most fraud and theft is committed by people with two eyes and two ears? I mean, go to prison and ask them, uh, I don't know, they probably wouldn't do this for you, but if you would get all the people that are in there for fraud and theft, I don't care whether you go to the men's prison or the women's prison, most of them have two eyes and two ears. So therefore, I could, based on that, I could stand here this morning and say that you all are suspects of fraud and theft. Because I think all of you got two eyes and two ears. And that same logic sometimes gets applied to men, and I think it's faulty. Just as faulty as what I just did. If I come up to you and say, hey, I think you're a fraudster. Because you got two eyes and two ears, you would say, well, Joe, you're lacking data here, right? Oh, well, just because I'm a man doesn't say I'm a bad man either. You're lacking data here. And let's just be a little careful as we go, and I think you'll follow me as I go through this. I wonder if we have not been influenced and succumbed to more of a Western mindset rather than a biblical view on some aspects as it relates manhood. While we need to talk, and we need to talk frankly about the issues that we as men face, and women for that matter, may we as men be happy to be men. I guess that's my real burden. Let's be happy to be a man this morning. There's nothing wrong with that. I appreciate some of the teaching we probably hear in our churches that we didn't, maybe haven't in years gone by, past generations. At the same time, I think we sometimes tread on dangerous ground. And I might get a bit more explicit later on. Let's be happy to be a man if that's what God made us. Don't despair with how, the way God made you. He made you in the way he wants you. Now, granted, the devil's there to twist that into something that God does not want. But what you are in the creation that God has made is not wrong in and of itself. And ladies, I'm going to get pretty hard on you. Don't despise us for the way God made us. And I've seen that quite a bit, and it bothers me a lot. So, I guess I feel when there's a problem, let's own the problem. So I'm going to start there. You all, most of you that have spent any time here, should know this. If I would ask you for what is the besetting sin of a man, what would Joe's answer to that be? Can you remember? What's a man's besetting sin or weakness? Anyone? Selfishness. Selfishness, thanks. Jerry, you've been around me a little bit, huh? I'm not saying women don't have selfishness. I'm just saying maybe it comes out with words I use differently. So maybe in accusing men of being selfish, I should say that this man in particular is selfish. Is that fair with the rest of you fellows here? Are you okay with me saying I'm selfish? (laughs) dragging you in here a little deep, quick. Um, That of being selfish... I guess I'd describe selfishness in my life as placing an over-importance on what I like. You know, how do I respond? My wife does a good job of cooking, and I think she tries hard to cook what I like. But I would say even then, someday she's probably going to miss it, or someday she's going to want to eat something other than just what I like. So how do I respond to something as simple as a meal that maybe I don't choose? Do I have to fuss about it? I try not to. Last night I was sitting there eating a piece of peanut butter pie, and she knows that's not my favorite. She's like, why in the world are you eating that? And I said, well, (laughs) quite honestly, it's because the very good one was gone, and there was a mediocre one, and I thought I would eat the one I really didn't like, just to sort of have a mental challenge here. So um, got discovered on that journey. But, um, you know, don't fuss. Just do it. An over-importance on what I like, being too concerned about what feels good. And I understand that we as men are willing to bear some pain if we think there's some gain in it. But a lot of us are pretty um, quick to invest in a new mattress or something if we're the one having the backache, aren't we? Uh, You know, that's not saying that's wrong at the same time. How about it? Selfishness. Being too concerned about what feels good, tastes good, and is fun. Being overly focused on what makes me feel worthwhile. Being overly focused on what makes me feel worthwhile. You know, if you want to really get see how mature a fellow is, go touch something where he finds a self worth in it, right? Some might be his business, some it might be their expertise in hunting or fishing. For others it might be, I don't know, whatever. I'm sure there's there's quite a wide range of where we find our self-worth. But you touch that, you'll find quickly if this is a mature person or not. I would go further, men, and I would say that even the most amazing man among men harbors the seed of selfishness. I ain't going to make a fool out of anybody, but I... Am I too strong? Would you say I'm too strong in saying that all of us have the potential of being selfish? I don't think so. I think i got a big enough dose of it to at least trust that you have a very small dose, even if it's much, much smaller than mine, praise God. But I'd say you find it pretty easy to be selfish. I do. I don't have to go further than that. It's easy to let that potential grow to seek to please, to gratify myself in whatever area it is. And I'm going to say that we must, we as men must continually guard against this tendency. But yet, let me quickly say to you men and to you ladies, just because we harbor the potential of selfishness in our heart does not mean that every man you meet is a selfish man. Praise God. i like to do something here, and I'm not projecting. I'm just gonna try to help us understand each other a bit, maybe. You know, when we combine the selfish tendencies of men with probably the words I use to describe selfishness in women, maybe, is more the thought of what I call control and security obsession. Uh, A woman is just pretty important. Uh, Some do better than others. But it can be a real journey for a lady to get married to a fellow that doesn't, um, decides to take a trip five minutes. You know, it was interesting, a very good friend of mine uh, has family in Canada, and he lives here in Arkansas, not here, in this church. And uh, he decided one night they were going to go visit his family in Manitoba, he told me. So they all took showers, packed their bags, and... uh, as they went, just the way he told me basically as they were going to the vehicle, he decided not to go, and I thought this was pretty good. Uh, I have at least one or two young ladies in my house that would think that this is a pretty rare situation if I did something similar, so I sort of informed them how, you know, and this is sort of interesting, just more in the casual interest category. And uh, my, my wife heard it; and she bristled for the other lady without even having experienced it. Uh, you know, it's, there's something, I think, and I'm not holding that against her at all, but there's something about that, you know, the, the whiplash of things, whatever. It, uh, women like to know what's happening, and I'm not saying that you're a control freak necessarily in saying this, but you find security. You all find your security. You find in knowing what's happening and that it's happening now, and there's just somehow that brings security and something into your life. So when you combine men's selfish tendencies with a woman's desire for her security, uh, control when it gets out of line, I think we, quite frankly, I think we create an environment where we actually encourage disengaged, weak yes-men. Because we as men, believe it or not, are designed to please. Gene Hill, I don't think he was a professing Christian. As a writer, I enjoy his thoughts some, but I couldn't find the exact quote, so if I've got it wrong, forgive me. But it's something to this effect. He said, the female of most species has great control over how the male of that species comports himself. How about that? The female of most species has great control over how the male of that species comports himself. We are wired to want to please and impress And so when we are wired that way, yet maybe because of lack of communication, other things we find it almost impossible to achieve, we tend to just sort of withdraw and become this yes man. I have to think of a a funny thing. I think it actually came from the Creation Museum. A little cartoon type thing I had where um, there was a parrot sitting on a branch above Adam and Eve and he was saying yes dear whatever you want dear that's fine with me dear uh you know and that's that's a bum of a husband if you're doing that man man up and quit it But at the same time it's not that fault does not totally lie with the men because sometimes maybe we don't take enough time we can take responsibility finally it comes back on us but sometimes Uh, How can I say this nice? You you ladies do make it hard to be understood, and you do make it hard. You want to be inconsistent, but you don't like it in us, and then you run this circle. And finally, a man's way of relating to something he can't figure out is to go do something he can figure out. And so, yes, dear, well, just do that then. Let me out of it. And so in going on in what I say, I am not seeking to project the needs and problems of men onto women. Not at all. But I would like to encourage you as ladies... To be careful in what you admire and in what you applaud and in what you encourage and discourage. When you ladies admire and accept and thereby reward something less than a real man, you become somewhat complicit in the making of a selfish and wimpy man. I just really hammered you there, didn't I? Uh, I'll take that back to the extent that I'm still responsible for the way I respond. Let me give you an illustration. Maybe it's easier if it's out there, but I have, I'll give you two illustrations. I've got quite a few illustrations, so if I run too long, it's going to fault the illustrations, which you won't mind, correct? Um, so there was a young lady recently that was writing on a forum that I happened to come across, and she classified herself as a liberal young lady. Um, I think she was speaking co- politically, socially, I don't know. And I told one or two of you this, so bear with me. But she was bemoaning the fact that while she is politically, socially a liberal, she, she was really wanting a partner, but she says whenever she accepted someone with similar political and social views and they went out to spend time together, they always wanted to split the ticket with her. And her question was, why is it that only conservative men are willing to put the whole bill to take her out for supper? Uh, The response she got was, anyways, you can imagine, uh, interesting. But I would suggest to you that that poor young lady was not alone in her issue of wanting a man to be like her yet wanting him not to be like her. And so the very thing she wanted in one way was creating something she did not want in another way. Am I right, guys? Is that too going too deep too fast? I think there's some truth there. Where so, And I've seen it. Uh, this, thankfully, wasn't in our church, so I can use this illustration, I think, be safe. Actually, I've seen it a number of times, so maybe it'd be good to broaden it out. What I've seen... Someone, a lady, get married to a fellow that, I think she had married him at the time, but as they spent time together, she found that some of his traits were, uh, shall we just say, less than admirable. Uh, And so finally, her love waxed just a little bit colder. And so she got the bright idea that maybe multiples here, that maybe she could just sort of help him grow in this area or two by just, you know, uh, strongly encouraging, that uh, way won't go into the nagging part, and him to consider some of things from her viewpoint, which, you know, any good, considerate, loving husband should do that. Men, I'm not taking that away. But most of the time when a woman takes this bit in her mouth and runs with it, she creates uh, less than an ideal marriage by a long shot. And I've seen a couple places where the man just blocked her out. Just sort of like I said, yeah, whatever you want. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go hunting. I'm going to run my business. And they just distanced themselves and basically left their wife have their way. And they felt they felt shunned, hurt their – I told you back at the beginning, I'd talk about something strong and yet fragile, and that's a man. Um, they just distanced themselves. I've seen other men that strenuously – tried to become what their wife wanted them to be, oh, ever so polite and ever so, well, just never, yeah, like they used to be, uh, just really changed. And yet, while maybe you say I'm presumptuous here, I think I know people well enough, that while maybe the husband sort of became what she wanted, in one way she actually lost the man she married. I've seen that quite a few times, and it's extremely sad. And I've seen men do the same thing, to be fair, but I'm talking about being real men. Think about it. Okay, now I'll quit beating up on you. Let's go back to being real men. Men, be real men. Not necessarily a chest-pounding, 500-pound gorilla type of masculinity, but a real, honest-to-goodness manliness. Don't be ashamed of how God has made you and don't necessarily apologize for being a man. I apologize for where I am selfish. I apologize for where I'm not what I should be. But I don't apologize this morning that God created me a male. Yes, it has its challenges. Don't let none of us, don't let our passions rule us. But we, are, we were created a man and we're wonderful that way. You know, some years ago we had evangelist and I admire and I appreciate his openness. I won't repeat his name. There's no sense dragging him through this twice. Those of you that remember him, remember him. And those that don't, don't. But he t- made the comment. He's the one that made the comments wishing he could hang a curtain down through the middle in one of his messages and then maybe a cross yet. I don't know if you remember that. But he went on to say that he was talking with his wife about shall we say how he was weird and how temptations hit him and they were sitting together on the couch and as he said it she's sort of stood up and walked to the other side of the couch and sat down and was like you're just weird and I don't know I'm not trying to be hard on his wife maybe he had some poetic license in his description maybe he didn't I don't know that I'll let that with him I do have a problem with that if it actually happened. In that, ladies, especially you wives, appreciate the men in your life, appreciate your husband. Actually, all of you, married, unmarried, appreciate the men in your life. Don't let their battle, and we've heard of some of that in the last couple Sundays here, which is fine, but don't let their battle unsettle you or make you fearful. After all, how would you like if your husband, if your dad, or if your brother panicked when you were struggling with something that's a bit different from what he faces? Or he would say, You're weird and go fishing instead of trying to listen you out. Again, I'm not faulting you. God made you beautifully, wonderfully. But don't forget to appreciate us the same way you want to be appreciated. Pray for the men in your life. Encourage them. Do your part. Some of those things were mentioned in other messages. But inspire them to be real men. Sometimes I think we've got a generation of women that like wimps, and I'm tired of it, if you want to know the truth. I'm tired of wimps, and I'm tired of women that like them. Um, and you, you know what I mean there. You know, femininity in a woman is beautiful, but femininity in a man is something much less Excuse me, is something less, and may I say, much less. Remember, a man and a woman were not meant to be like each other, but they were meant to complement each other. This country and this culture that we live in has reached the sad state of many despising the strength of manhood and encouraging a watered down wimpiness in men. While the remainder react to that by defending self-obsessed and self-focused masculinity. And neither one is proving anything except that they're a bunch of fools outside of God. Right? I mean, just look at the political situation in this country. And I have no desire to get political here. But I was just thinking back over the last number of, especially presidential elections... It seems they go somewhat from wanting a strong confrontational leader to wanting a bit of a weakling, and they vacillate between the two. And I'm not here to judge any of those or make any comment about people's spiritual standing before God necessarily, but I'm telling you this vacillating, defending someone that has lived the wrong life on one hand, And then turning around and trying to get somebody that can't barely stand on their own two feet is not what God wants in his people. It seems like these opposing views feed off each other to amplify the natural problems that exist. And don't fool yourself into thinking that this problem only exists out there somewhere. Even in Christian circles... There are many examples of men using their leadership roles, whether it's as father, whether it's as a business owner, whether it's as a church leader, for selfish ends. And that saddens me very much. It happens and it shouldn't. But the resulting reaction to that, that we also see in many groups, in seeking out, shall I call them, the boneless chickens of men to be their leaders, does not solve that problem one bit. Surely there's something better. Let me tell you this. When you take a sensitive man and you make him feel guilty for being a man, you will not change the part you don't care for as much as you will make him less than a man. I guess another reason of this burden for me on this thing is I gradually have had to be, seems in the last number of years, and maybe it's just the situations I find myself in, I don't know. But I would say within the last five years, I've had to deal a whole lot with trying to help some young men that are facing same sex attractions than what I've knew of before. And I am personally fairly convinced. That as I observe the homes and the churches where this is happening, I'm not trying to blame them necessarily 100%. But some of it is, some of the root cause is that we are not building an appreciation and we're almost apologetic for being men. With the result that some of the most sensitive young men in our circles feel bad for being a man. Yet they live like a man as best as they know how. And they turn around and some years after they're married they discover that they have this problem because they're ashamed of how they are otherwise. The devil's out to get us, friends, and that's foolishness. I'm not proud of sinful man, but I'm happy to be what God wants me to be. The solution to selfish abuses of strength is not to get rid of strength, as many seek to do. The solution is in having and encouraging real strength, a strength that is used for the good of others. So trying to what, wrap this up in some sort of semblance, is let's look at what is man's mandate. Turn to Genesis chapter one. I know if, how many of you know what a mandate is? Many so I'll describe. The, I'll, uh, mandate uh, is the order and law giving one responsibility and authority. A mandate is an order or law giving someone responsibility and, or authority. In other words, years ago, they would sometimes govern a country by mandate, which meant that a king or whatever would assign a governor for another country, and he had a mandate to rule that country. He would make the laws. So what is man's mandate before God? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And before I read this, I want to assure you that I know that man in Genesis often refers to mankind, including woman. At the same time, also as we read Genesis 1 and 2, we realize that woman was created to support man in his rules, so not to degrade her one little bit, but she's more of in a support rule while the man's in a primary rule, so I think we're still safe using this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. I wanted to look at that phrase, have dominion, in the Hebrew. If I was to translate it in some other words, it would mean to rule over and to bring under control. So when God told mankind to Have dominion over, and he actually gives us a list of things, over nature, basically. He's saying, rule over it and bring it under control. The deer should not be eating my wife's garden. I either got to shoot the things or put a fence around them, probably both in my case, right? They're not supposed to rule. The dog is not necessarily supposed to continually be chewing up new shoes. She needs to learn to let the shoes alone, and I could keep going, but you get the drift, right? Have dominion. Rule over it. Bring it under control. And while this mandate, if you will, was given before the fall, before sin, I find it interesting that God did not rescind this mandate. In other words, it's still in effect. He still has told mankind to have dominion over nature. Now, with that dominion comes a responsibility. It's not for me to just go out and use nature any way I please. Uh, And I'm going to step on some toes here and I... Not sure if I'm sorry or not. Uh, I'm going to say, like I said, I guess if I, you're being stupid, you might as well go wholesale. So I think we in our Mennonite churches have a bit of a problem with this. Not necessarily the having dominion. We sort of enjoy that, especially this side of the house, right? Uh, we like our things. Um, let me ask you this, though, before I make the rest of my point, is what is the difference between a good ruler and a bad ruler? A very brief descriptive difference. Can you tell me, any of you fellows? No. Humbleness, humility, thank you. I think what I was saying basically is the same thing. What I, was, I was going to say it this way, is that a good ruler is the one who carefully considers what is best for what he has dominion over. A good ruler is the one who carefully considers what is best for what he has dominion over. And I think that's where some of us get trapped into this uh, conservative American political philosophy of just use it up, wear it out and type of thing. And that bothers me. Uh, I could clarify maybe a bit more. A poor ruler is the one who uses what he has simply for himself with no consideration of tomorrow and how it affects what he has. And so for me to change oil in my truck and go dump it in my front yard would be a, be a poor ruler of my yard. Right? I think it would be. You know, with, since, sin the, since the fall and sin, there's a continual temptation for mankind to use that which they have for selfish ends. And this always ends negatively. And unfortunately, I would say, especially if we look at the political situation in this country, again, conservatives often war with liberals. I'm going to say on the wrong premise. I actually feel like a lot of that a Christian really technically politics and uh, authority aside. I don't know that we really can take sides between the uh, what shall I call it? The tree huggers and the tree cutters, if you want to just call them that. Keep it simple. Because a tree hugger is almost worshiping nature, I get that, and we can readily in our Arkansas culture, I mean, cut the tree if it needs cut. You know, I was over in Romania. We actually have to get a forester to approve whether you can cut a tree in your yard, and that's a pack of nonsense, isn't it? Especially when you live in my place. Ah, can you imagine? Um, But the reverse of that is if we just wholesale use whatever we have, however we want to, without using it conscientiously and as a good steward, I think we've gone too far the other way. I don't really think, and I'm being pretty frank here, and I'm not trying to judge people on on their journey. But, you know, we could probably pretty quickly say, a Christian wouldn't be part of PETA, right? People for the ethical treatment of animals. Well, how about the reverse of that? Is there room for a Christian there? I almost don't think so. Some of those react are reactions and equal reactions, and I don't really think there's for a Christian. You know, uh, don't. I'm so glad we probably don't have boys here that do this. I just know some places that do. But, you know, somehow for a young boy to be given a BB gun or something else, and he goes out and destroys life for no other reason than to defeat his ego, that's wrong. And dads, if you're allowing it, work on it. I'm not saying, probably most boys shoot a songbird sometime when dad ain't looking. I did. Uh, But I quit. I felt awful guilty after the one. Um. It makes me think of that, I'm not promoting the book really, but some of you know who I'm going to talk about anyway. Uh, Was it, the young man and the boy? The old man and the boy, sorry. Remember when he shot the mockingbird, those of you? He shot the mockingbird out in the magnolia bush out behind Grandma's house. And I just really liked what Grandpa did. He took his, took his gun, anyway, he took him out there and he said, you know, my own words. He said, basically, what's that bird now since it's dead? Just a pile of feathers the cat won't even eat. What did you get out of it? fed your ego a little bit, made you feel like you were something, taking a life, huh? And he said, well, I'm gonna teach you something. Took his brand new BB gun and just broke it over his knee and pitched it over the fence. And he said, that's what happens to guys that act like this. And I commend that grandpa. He don't get everything right, but he got that one right. There's no sense in shooting something. You know, my dad didn't quite do that to me. One years ago, we just moved to Kentucky and uh, I was exploring and I had this gun too, you know, and so what does a boy do when he's exploring? He takes his gun along. That's natural. Nothing wrong with that. So I went out. Dad left me half off. I went out to hike this new territory. To come back, Dad's like, did you shoot anything? And I was like, uh-oh, I had shot a pigeon. Uh, and uh, I said, well, yeah, I shot this pigeon. He's like, well, where is it? I said, well, I mean, um, up, up there, you know, <laughs> where I killed it. He's like, well, you go get that thing. He said, you're going to eat it. Uh, I did. It wasn't bad. I didn't enjoy the process getting there, but it was all right. You know, responsibility. If you got to be doing stuff like that, comes responsibility. And dads teach your boys that. I have no thing. Like I said, this, this. I'm not trying to preach this male thing of being a 500 pound gorilla pounding your chest, going around bending the world to your, to your tune at all. But I think there's still real men somewhere in this thing. Uh, let's uh, flip over to Genesis chapter two now. Uh, keep going for you a little bit here. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 through 18. And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. If you look up the words to dress it and to keep it, it's translated from words that would basically make dress and keep mean to serve and to guard. How about that? So Adam was put in the garden. He was told to serve the garden. And basically, in fact, if you really get would take just the literal strong translation, it means be a slave of. So Adam was told to serve as a slave in keeping this garden and in guarding it. Now, I'm not quite sure what he was guarding it against. Anyway, that was before the fall, but that's what he was told to do. Going on to verse 16, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. My point here is that man is under authority. I answer to others and to God for how I use my dominion and what kind of job I do in the serving and guarding of the garden entrusted to to me. To some degree, my home... The property that I've been able to buy, the business that I'm involved in are to some degree my garden. And I give answer to God for how I serve and how I guard those things. They're not mine at the end of the day. We can go to the New Testament for that. All kinds of verses there. Going on to verse 18. And "And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Um, basically I have alone is not good we need the involvement of others yes marriage is a wonderful thing which is what's taught here but I would like take that principle a bit further and say I need the help of more how many of you read the story in the companions about the family uh, some children that had some issues and it takes a village anybody remember that if you haven't read it go read it that's an amazing story you know I need a village to help raise my children and I'm guessing you might so get you know We need each other. It's not a thing where we can do it alone. So to recap, this mandate gives man four responsibilities. To have authority and rule over the natural world, bring it under control. To carefully use and preserve the things entrusted to his care, guarding them from loss and waste. Number three, this mandate gives him the authority to operate under authority, making it, it's not about pleasing himself, myself. And the number four is working with others. So what is a real man? What is a real man? What's the difference between a real man and a... Almost a man, but not quite. I'll give you a couple points real quick. Let me read... Uh, I'll just read this. You listen fast now. First Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, but the man looketh on outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Maybe I can't help myself here just a little bit. You know, men are pretty bad at judging other men. I'll tell you one thing that's worse at judging men than another man, and that's a woman. So, uh, young ladies, if you ever find yourself needing to judge a man, by all means have a man help you. Because at least we tick at least a little bit alike. Okay, going on. I'm going to give you eight things real quick here. So we know it's not about being the tallest, the strongest, the loudest, the whatever, richest. So one, is a real man is honest and open. You know, I will take a man that has all sorts of issues in his life. If he's honest and open, he still likely is worth keeping in my book. Because if he's honest and open, excuse me, we can probably go somewhere. If he's not that, you don't have anything to build on. When honesty is lacking, there's nothing to build on. Number two, is a real man is self-controlled. Self-controlled. And I don't like to say self-controlled because it almost makes it about me. Maybe I should say God-controlled. But he knows how to wake up when it's time to wake up. He knows how to be at the job when it's time to be there. He knows how to quit eating when it's time to quit eating. He knows how to not take a risky shot when he's out hunting because he doesn't want to just ruin an animal for his pleasure. He knows those things because he's learned self-control through God-control. Proverbs 25, 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. Number three, a real man is principled. Think of Joseph there with Potiphar's wife. How can I sin against God? and do this great wickedness. He was principled. He realized there was something more than his feelings. I've told some of you this personally. Uh, I'm afraid sometimes we make something out of Joseph and Daniel that they really weren't. Maybe you'll think my reading of those stories is crazy, but I think the reason Joseph left part of his clothing there and ran away was because he knew he'd end up with her if he didn't leave right now. He was just as weak as me, and he left because of the danger. He didn't leave because of strength necessarily, yet it was strength that he realized his danger. Can you follow me? And let's quit making these Bible characters some sort of, yeah, they were saints, but it's because they knew how to run when they needed to run. Anyway, he's principled. Realize there's something bigger than how I feel and what I would really like. Number four, a real man listens to and learns from others. You know, Moses in Exodus 18, he had his father-in-law of all things. Now, I don't know. I love my father-in-law, and I hope I wouldn't have any problem taking advice he gives me. But, you know, the world's joke about in-laws. Can you imagine? So here's Moses responsible for all these people, and God's talking to him. And here comes dad-in-law and has the brass to tell him he's doing things wrong. He's going to tear this whole thing apart if he don't change his way of operating. Moses listened and did it. Bless him. Can I do that? You know, only a fool would try to learn everything by experience. So, fellas, stop and ask directions, okay? If you need to, stop and ask directions. Don't be a fool. Okay, number five. A real man considers the people and things committed to his care. The Bible's so full of this one, I'm not even going to give you necessarily a verse on it. You can go find your own. But you know, the Bible tells me how to treat my wife, how to treat my children. Uh, it even goes on in Proverbs twelve ten. It says, A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So what are you, young men? When I'm looking through a deer in my scope and I'm deciding whether to take that shot or not, it is not at all wrong to shoot that deer, to keep him out of my garden, to put some meat in the freezer. But if I'm just trying to somehow grow hair somewhere, I'd better maybe not pull that trigger and learn to grow up first. Consider so the people and the things committed to his care. Uh, you know, the tools I buy, do I put them away? Do I take care of the stuff God has entrusted my care? That's part of being a real man. Number six, he takes responsibility for his actions. A real man takes responsibility for his actions. Uh, I make my mistakes. You know, the very worst, what, what's worse than making a mistake is not accepting responsibility for the mistake. If somebody comes and tells you, you messed up, you say, yes, sir, I did, and I'm sorry, and I'll fix what I can. And what I can't, I'll apologize for. Uh, Number seven, a real man knows how to support and follow. Yeah, especially probably 15, 16, 17. I don't know, maybe it starts before then. And somehow this isn't just restricted to men. I actually come to think I'm raising daughters, ain't I? And sometimes I've got some young daughters that think it would be pretty nice to be dad. And they think somehow they're sort of neat if you could make the calls dad makes and we could choose to go on this trip or we could spend money this way or do that way. And I don't know. I think I know some of you boys well enough to guess that you probably do some of the same things to your dad, don't you? You know unless until you i don't care male female don't really matter but i'm talking to you men especially until you know how to support and follow someone else in a leading role you're not ready for a leading role right if you can't happily support someone else in a lead you're gonna not really be fit to lead and number eight is interesting oh maybe i wanted to balance number seven out is a real man is willing to lead I had somebody just recently, a dear friend of mine, tell me in a certain situation, like, I don't know why I got stuck with this. I, my own words. I'm not really the man for this. Well, I told him, you know, if you felt like you were the man for this position, you'd probably be the wrong one. But given that you don't feel you are, I think you just need to be willing to do it. And I still feel that way. I really trust him with that. Okay, what does being a real man involve? This shouldn't take real long. I just decided to write down some things I actually saw in people here for a little bit. So if you don't you don't hate me for, I won't say your names with this. So I guess if you, maybe I can catch more than what you know. Who knows? But uh, a real man doesn't go fishing when his wife, when the timing for his wife is bad. And that wasn't me. I'm not talking about myself in any, any of these. So um, I hope I don't, but uh, maybe I do. Uh, but yeah, I had a dear friend that I offered to take fishing, he said, no, nah. he said, my wife would give me the rats. Now, I think he uh, sort of projected it onto her, but I know him well enough to think that she wouldn't have, but he just wanted to honor her, so bless him. You know, how about this one? A real man catches the, catches the contents of his young boy's stomach as it comes out of his mouth and cleans up the floor afterwards when his son empties his stomach in an inconvenient place and time. And afterwards, he told me, I asked him about it, and he like, yeah, he said, you know, he said, a couple years ago, I was, I couldn't do that. He says, now, nah, it's sort of whatever. So, yeah, that's a real man there, you know. A real man takes time to explain to a child or someone ignorant, sometimes not just children, how something works. He stops his day, takes some time to show them how this thing ticks and why it ticks and where it goes. A real man seeks to earn the love and respect of those he leads. He doesn't just rush into doing whatever he wants to do, but he takes time to hear questions, concerns, whatever. And we see a lot of that here, thanks God. A real man sells his fishing pool or gun to buy a minivan as the family expands. A real man lets learning drivers continue learning despite crashes and dings on his vehicle. A real man is patient when he feels anything but patient. A real man shares and bears even when he feels like he doesn't have anything to share or bear. Based on this, I would suggest to you that we have a number of real men here this morning. May God bless you. May you find his strength. May I as well. May we together find a strength to use our strength for the good of those entrusted to us. So remember, this is not a direct or indirect plea on my part for recognition in the rules that I fill. But since I do fill some rules, I think I'm able to predict a bit how some others that fill similar rules may feel. And maybe sometimes some of the men sitting in this audience won't get the opportunity to tell you ladies especially and you younger men some of the things I can tell you right now. So I'm going to take just a little bit of time and tell you some stuff they might never get around to telling you. I was wondering if all those 20 and older, I'd like to ask you a couple questions, um, fellows here. I'd like for you to raise your hand, I didn't know you, it's not really that embarrassing I don't think, but then my embarrassment threshold isn't what some people's is either. Um, so I wasn't sure if you should close your eyes, but I think we'll just let them open, but would you honestly answer these for me? How many of you men 20 and older have felt like the world leans rather heavily on you at times? Ever felt that way? Like everybody's sort of dependent on you, and if I'd slip out, the thing would crash. Okay, good. Did you all see that? How many of you felt like almost everyone in your life leans on you? Ever felt that way? Yeah, sort of like, at least maybe a few, Not sure, but yeah, I think we have those moments. How many of you in that time have wished there would be somebody for you to lean on? And I'm not saying this, let's just make ourselves vulnerable, you know. I'm happy to be there for my friends, for my family. It's not that I have a problem with them leaning on me. But sometimes it gets pretty lonely, it can. And unless we have a friend that we open up to and stuff, usually there's more support than what we realize. But it can feel awful lonely. So I'm going to tell you what we as men, especially those in leadership roles, need from those we lead. We need your love. I would tell you from personal experience, for myself, no rule was as disheartening, for me at least, as the one where I wonder if anyone loves me or cares for me personally. And this may come as a shock to you, and I'm a little bit embarrassed by it. It is not that I lack responsibility. I don't know. I feel, if anything, I have way too much, okay? But at the same time, in that responsibility, when that responsibility becomes heavy, it's almost always, for me, Because I feel like there's people demanding stuff from me every which way I turn, and yet I'm almost unsure if anybody loves me in that. And I know that can be out of a selfish heart, okay? I just told you I'm selfish. At the same time, I still struggle with that. I need to, I need your love. Especially when I speak things that are hard to hear. It's not because I enjoy it. It is because, whether right or wrong, I genuinely believe you would be a better person to at least consider that point of view. And I've noticed something odd, and I'm not really saying this about the church here. But in the human experience, many times the people who most encourage others are the ones they know the least. And I would like to set that on its head. And I'll just tell you, it's not that you as a church are not encouraging. That's not what I'm saying. I have to try. I got myself on thin ice here. I appreciate the encouragement and all that comes here. At the same time, I would venture to guess that in a lot of our churches—boy, I'm on thin ice. I am thinking I'm going to break through and just say it—that um, it seems like you have more appreciation when you have a week of meetings away from home than when you do at home for illustration. Is that fair enough? And I'm not griping. I'm not grumbling. I'm just saying I hope Ernie, Jason, and George don't find it that way because that means that I'm just a selfish old whatever, and you can rest easy. It does seem that way, and uh, I'll let it there. Okay, number two in that is we need your appreciation building on that. Um, You know, I believe everyone here has a father, a brother, an employer, a mentor, a church leader who would be very blessed if you would very occasionally tell them that you appreciate them in what the position they fill. Number three, what we need from you is we need you to respectfully question us. I am a firm believer in accountability, and I don't care what role I fill. I feel that I have to be willing to answer questions from anyone that I relate to in that position or role. Number four, we need you to remember we are but human. We fail. We struggle. We have a breaking point. We want to lean at times, too, and sometimes we respond wrong. Being a man does come with its challenges and temptations. Yet for those of us created men, being a man is what God has for us. Let's thrive in that position. And for those of you that aren't men, don't hold that against us. Help us to be real men. Remember, the solution to selfishness, to the selfish abuse of strength and position is not to get rid of the strength or position, as many seek to do. The solution is to have and encourage real strength. Strength used for the good of others. May we appreciate and encourage real strength in men. May we seek out men who stand strong on truth and who are willing to be real and bear the brunt of life with the strength of their manhood. And maybe you think that's a long ways around to say Happy Father's Day to those of you that are are fathers. And God bless you and be a real man. Let's kneel for prayer.